Every now and again in a transfer window, it throws up a total head-scratcher. We're only 11 days into this window and Bayern Munich have produced an absolute beauty to win this already. Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Show in a week where Jaden Sancho is off to fool some Germans in Dortmund. Eric Dyer will be given his all to fool some Germans in Munich. And a German in Kai Havertz is fooling no one in the Emirates. Uh, my name is Roy Shanahan and I'm joined by David Bugle and Neil Dobbs uh, from thebigkickoff.com. And Neil, this blew my mind. I don't know, is, it, is, is Harry Kane having words with them over there? They can't understand them and they think that he, they're after getting a beauty in Eric Dyer. You know what? I never even, for some reason, put the the Harry Kane combo together on this. Uh, maybe that is it. He's after fooling them all. But uh, yeah, unbloody believer when I looked at it today. You know, it's only a small money deal. But then I saw Thomas Tuchel's comment saying, you know, he can play in the centre of a tree. He's brilliant in the six. He's adept, adaptable, a wonderful player. You know, singing his praises. And I'm thinking that could not be Eric Dyer in any way, shape, or form. Who would have the gall to say that? Or maybe that was the translation from German into English and it, it comes across a little bit different. But uh, look, it's small money and maybe that's the reason behind it. It's the only valid reason behind it. And then to add a little bit of salt into the wounds, seemingly Bayern were chasing uh, Radu Dragosin uh, from Genoa in a 26 million deal, which Spurs have gazumped them in. So uh, maybe that's why they had a little bit of leeway there to move a guy from Spurs and uh, Captain Harry uh, swooped in with a, a brilliant piece of English bias by saying, Dyer, toughest guy I ever trained with, hard as nails. So uh, <laughs> other than that, I'm out of ideas. I'm out of ideas. Dave, it's a good point there that Neil's after bringing up because they've missed out on a defender two spores. So is this mm. is this something that's covered? Although I did, I have read just there now that this is a loan deal with a view to a permanent deal and Tuchel actually likes yeah. him for his flexibility. Yeah, and that's it. Like, and to be honest, yes, he he has kind of flirted with midfield, and maybe that's the reason why he's never really been top of our list in terms of top centre half because he's unfortunately not really a master of any position. But maybe Tuco, let, let's give him a bit of credit. We we rate him highly. Maybe he does need him for a said reason like that. But the fact that it is the German league, this might be his level, and we might see him playing that bit better. I still wouldn't be rushing them back to the Premier League, that's for sure. But this could be his level and it could be right up his street. And there could be a little bit of a, let's keep Harry Kane sweet as well. You know, there could be a bit of an element to that as well because he's, he's doing well for Bayern, but this might just give him a little bit of a buddy there beside him to, to really keep him comfortable and, and, and get, get ready for the business half of the season. Yeah, it does show, Dave, Harry Kane we might as well talk about him it does show yeah. the quality that he has and oh, I've heard a lot from mostly Arsenal fans to tell you the truth ah he's not this and he's not that but he'll score goals in any league with any club hey, absolutely end of story and that's it and and, and regardless whether Dyer went or not you're going to see what like obviously I think he's in the golden boot uh, leading the race at the minute and there's no reason why he's not going to finish it off strongly again for the second half of the season. So to have somebody like that and have a partner in crime, somebody who you're comfortable with, it can only help him. So even if Dyer is successful there or not, is, irre- is irrelevant almost. If it, if it can get it an, an extra percent or two even more out of Harry Kane, you know? Yeah. Neil, this is a great move for Spurs, isn't it? 
They've, they've, they've got a new defender in and Ange obviously knows his football I, I've, I've more admiration for him now can I uh, say something right yeah do second? jump uh, in just quickly it's just no because I like last week the English press it was a pre-match press conference and oh we hear rumours of Eric Dyer and you know you're leaving yourself very light in defence will it cause you a problem no and that was his answer <laughs> that's all he said and so that said everything he said no so he definitely wanted him gone <laughs> there uh, you go. Yeah, he's not waxing lyrical about him anyway. Yeah, no, yeah. no. But Neil, yeah. it is a good, it is a good move for sport. Yeah, I think so. Um, sports seem to be doing things in the right direction for a change. Where you're finding it very difficult to criticise them. That uh, I think the guys that Ange has brought in, he knows the type of player he wants. Uh, now I don't know anything about the new guy coming in, which I'm sure the rest is because he's come from Genoa. But I guarantee you, he's a flyer. I guarantee he's quick. I guarantee you, he, he, you know, he, he's able to play the high line. And I have a feeling he's going to be one of these guys that's going to be rapid over 20 yards that when they're playing the high line that they're not getting caught out. And let's be honest, Dyer was the opposite of that. So for Ange, you know yourself, right? When you move out kind of your weakest player, weaker player, and you bring in someone on the strong end, it really, really helps your team no end. So, um, I mean, he's after getting Werner now. That may be a little bit more interesting whether he can get a song out of him coming back to the Premier League. It didn't work out with him with Chelsea, but wouldn't it be amazing if he turned around and, and gave him like 10 goals or something between now and the end of the year flying through for Spurs. So, um, Anne seems to be making the right kind of waves at Spurs at the minute and uh, it's a kind of a breath of fresh air type of management. Absolutely. Um, we'll talk about Arsenal's slump and Kai Havertz's part in that in a second, but Jaden Sancho, Dave, he's made his move <laughs> back to Dortmund. He's been dark dormant for a, a long time now yeah. he's probably going to go over there now and shine in that league isn't he uh, every chance now it'll be interesting obviously like Dortmund are still a strong side but he doesn't have the like of Haaland to be playing into now and making his numbers look good but in saying that it's still Borussia Dortmund he has been quoted can't wait to see my teammates and uh, play with a smile on my face so obviously that's a bit of a dig but then he did a bit of a video message and of course it was in English I felt like saying mate you're over there for a few years you could have <laughs> set the cupola booklet in German for God's sake come on mate hey, he mustn't have turned FIFA he mustn't have turned the language on FIFA <laughs> exactly like, so come on mate you could have just said something like you know but uh, look it was obvious, it was clear, the room was where all he had to do was say sorry and he dug his heels in potentially if, if all of that is true. So it's the right move for, for, for United more so I'd say. So that problem, child isn't there. And look, it might kind of resurrect his career. He's what, 23, 24, I can't remember how old he is, but he needs to get a finger out if he wants to be kind of getting back into the train of things and be potentially threatening England again if he ever does. But you know, it might be ideal for him, but I think it's more a, a good result for for United because that at least that that's a distraction that they don't need or an unwanted question for at least the next six months. Absolutely, it's it's a brilliant result for Manchester United because mm. uh, anyone who hasn't heard the show before and uh, is is hearing me now, I have no time for Jaden Sancho, and I never had. <laughs> um, Neil, Manchester United are changing things. There, Jaden Sancho is the first to go. It's hard to know if there's actually something really positive going on or is it just they're trying to cut the wages? Yeah, and you see, we don't know what United, right? Like, I mean, there was a time where Man United were being linked with every player on the planet. Then it was a couple of high-profile uh, kind of type of players. In the last few years, it's been the kind of guys that are maybe past their best or maybe have a year in their best. 
like Casemiro and Varane and pointing fingers at them because A, they were looking for that last paycheck. B, they were looking for a club that had the kind of financial clout to offer them something a little bit different. Like, Varane and Casemiro were playing for Real Madrid. If possibly the greatest club side, as in on a European level, uh, with all the Champions League wins, the wealth of experience, uh, one for Brazil, one for France, winning trophies. Um, and, you, you know, unfortunately, it looks like they've got them at the wrong end of the scale where they're kind of on the way down rather than at least giving you maybe two to three years at the top. So for United, it, it, it's a, I don't know, I, I call it a sad time for United when you're losing a 23-year-old that you spent, what was it, 80 million, 90 million on, that you can't get into your team and you can't get them playing and yet you're looking at, you know, extended martials maybe by a year or keeping him there. You have these kind of older statesmen, Ericsson, Varane, Maguire wouldn't leave. I think this is the whole problem with United that they can't seem to get these signings correct, even if you go as far as Anthony. I know I'm going through the whole bloody team now, but, you know, they need to start getting these players correct. Um, if there's any light at the end of the tunnel, the, the kid in the middle of midfield looks like a bit of a player. May new, and then Garnacho seems to be coming through off the back of Sancho being frozen out. That's where Man United need to be. They need to be putting their focus on these young, talented kids that give everything for the badge and they run the hard yards and maybe move away from the older side of things where you're trying to bring in guys like the Casemiro's, you know, the experience, but they're older. You need to start blooding new players to bring back that kind of uh, success that they're looking for. I can't see any other way. Um, Casemiro, listen, he he was fantastic last year. He started off not great this year at all, and then he's got injured. Um, he's a half a season to prove his, his work again, but he did brilliant last year. Varane had a, a couple of decent seasons with United, but he's definitely at the end of his his, his lifespan there at that club. And I think the, the club have kind of nodded at that, and I don't think he'll be around too much longer. The likes of Harry Maguire. I'm amazed, Dave, at Harry Maguire. The, the, the British uh, media, they are just... <laughs> they batter him and batter him and batter him. Then they have him yeah. down at his lowest ebb. And then there's mm-hmm. injuries at Manchester United and he comes back and he does an okay job and they put him back up at the top again at the yeah. pedestal. And Play, they just player get, of the month. Yeah, player, player of the month. They have him and he's, and he's yeah. played well, but he hasn't been fantastic or amazing. Or, and he's just played very, very well. And it just feels to me that they're getting ready again to knock him back down. Absolutely, it's a bit like the running joke. Sometimes you stand up comedians like, "If you ever have a mate who's an arsehole, and you're like, uh, if you don't know, maybe it's because you're the arsehole." But it's really like they're allowed to say whatever about them, but we're not, or Ten Hag's not, you know. So they can kind of trash him, but God forbid, uh, the, the, the Ten Hag puts him out in the wilderness. So it's like he's ours, but like you, you still have to give him the credit he deserves, so that we can knock him up and build him up and do whatever we want with him. Look, his contract is massive and that's the big problem. And I think what you have to see nowadays and, and why you haven't seen the likes of Newcastle really spreading their spreading their wings with the money is that the financial fair play is really in on a big scale now. And I think this is the early signs. United are looking ahead going, right, we need to shake some wages off the, uh, off the bill so that we can start sp- spending some of the cash that it's quite clearly that Ratcliffe has. So you might see too much now, but you more than likely certainly will in the summer. And I'd say that's where some of these negotiations if these are reduces in wages, it's a nice way of maybe, right, we still need a body or two, but if we can get 20, 30 grand a week off the table per player, it all adds up, and that could give us a nice bit of room to, to really go after who we really want and slowly start the bit rebuilding process, but on a much better level than the free-for-all that it has been for the last three or four years. Neil, tell us about Kai Havertz, because 
he he's at Chelsea. <laughs> I, in fairness, I think. Listen, he, he's missing an awful lot of chances. He missed an awful lot of chances at Chelsea as well. But he, in his case, he, he isn't a centre forward. Chelsea and Arsenal have tried him in centre forward positions. I suppose, you know, they, they haven't had anyone. They've, they've had Werner, they've had at Chelsea, they've had Lukaku, who've been underperforming. Jesus has been out injured there. He's back now, but they're desperate for someone and Ketty is not doing it. So it's kind of a little bit of desperation from these clubs placing him in there. But he's not a centre forward. He's not a finisher. Is Kai Havertz a good player? Is he not a good player for these teams? Is he not at this level? Or are the clubs doing him an injustice? Yeah. Yeah, do you know, I, I have a Chelsea supporter and walk with me now. And uh, I have a couple of Arsenal lads after coming out of the ground in the last two years. Didn't really know a whole lot about them until they're doing well. But... um. The Chelsea guys have no time for him, but I do feel he was played in the wrong position. You're playing a 10 in the space of a 9, and I don't ever think that Havertz was ever going to be prolific. I don't think he was ever going to score the goals for Chelsea that they needed and wanted out of him. Um, it's a little bit like Jesus for uh, for Arsenal at the moment, where he does a good job. He can hold up. He's got legs. He can press. He's brilliant on the ball. He's technically very good. But he can't do the one thing that you want your striker to do, and that's to put the ball in the net. And at Arsenal now, I think Arteta has a better idea for him, which I think suits him better, which is playing him in behind. Um, they signed Declan Rice. They sometimes put kind of Havertz and Odegaard in a kind of a, an 8-10 role where they're in behind. Um, I think we're seeing more of him on the ball in forward positions. I think no one can argue that he gets into brilliant positions if you look at the Liverpool game last week, the best example I can give you, Odegaard put the ball on a play for him twice. He didn't score. And then one time Odegaard slightly played it where he needed an extra touch and the, the chance was just gone. The guy looked like he was just gone to pieces. He, you never felt he was going to put the ball in the net. And that to me is just a fine line maybe in Germany where he looked a real, real player and everyone was talking about him, you know, being the next great kind of 10. And and the difference in the Premier League of him just not being good enough. He's fallen. It's not a million miles right. It's just that extra few percent below. And that's why you pay, you know, the big, big money for these guys that can finish these chances to the Bryans of the world because they're just different class. And Havertz just is not. Maybe the, the price tag makes him a little bit higher than we feel. But he's just not that player that's cool, that's cold, that's in front of goal, puts the ball in the net, job done. And I think at the end of the day, that's always going to be, unless he, I don't know, somehow turns it around, you know, in the second half of this year and proves us all wrong. But I just think that's the type of player he is and you have to accept what he is. He's never going to make that next jump to the next level or the next quality of player, okay. in my opinion. It, I mean, I think everyone has agreed that there's a shortage of absolute quality centre-forwards out there and they're all fighting to try and uh, purchase one that'll just, bring them up whether it's yeah. a mid-table team or, or someone outside the top four just to kick them on Dave Ivan Tony would be one of those players yeah. if you're Brentford and there might be a bit of a test by the end of the window if you're Brentford and Arsenal come in which I don't think it will be Arsenal to tell you the truth I don't think they have the finances mm. for it but let's just say it for the mm. crack if they come in with a 100 million bid for Ivan Tony did they take it or did they not? They'd be mad not to, because, especially for somebody like Arsenal, because 
you know you could squeeze whatever out of them because they have a bit of a money ball tactic as well from what I hear over the years and what they do. So they would know or they would have a rough guy of what they believe him to be worth. And no doubt they could probably squeeze, God knows, 20, 30 million extra if, if a club had the money and they were desperate. And especially potentially, like you said, if they all of a sudden came out with 100 million, you know, you'd pack his bags and send them on his way because God knows what you could do with that money yourself. But yeah, if if, if Arsenal had, had the extra uh, money in the coffers and were willing to spend over the odds, like Brentford would be mad not to consider it. By all accounts, he wants to repay the, the fate uh, bestowed onto him and wants to stick it out till the end of the year. But, you know, everyone has a price. And, and like you said, if you're talking that kind of money, you know, you, there's no way your head do you your think, head to be torn. Do you think Brentford could afford to? They're, they're down around that relegation zone. Yeah, could, exactly. Could they That's be slitting their question. own throat? Absolutely. Like, I, I have the table in front of me and I don't know their table, but they've lost their last five in a row. So, what, what the only chance to lose five in a row. They need gold. You know, yeah. they need gold. So it is one of them. But when it's 100 million and the long-term future, you know, these people up above Thomas Frank will be tempted. There'd be no denying it if that's the type of numbers you're talking about. So it, 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 it is potentially an interesting conundrum, but it's all going to be in Brentford's favour because they'll only let him go for stupid money. And if they don't, they're getting their, their top goal scorer back to, to try and push them a little bit further up the table. And they won't be as worried then. To, to, they'd be looking ahead instead of looking behind, you know. If they put that bid in, Ivan Tony, as you said, has said he wants to repay Brentford. Yes. He'd be keen to move, wouldn't he? Oh, yeah. And look, it's an upgrade for him and Arsenal. They're a title challenger last year. They're still obviously flirting with the title this year. and There's no reason why they won't be next year. Of course, he's going to go up and beyond at some point, whether it's in January or June. But it's, I think we all know what's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Neil, you put this in the notes earlier on. I had a little <laughs> chuckle to myself. Liverpool for the quad. Now, it's a little bit early uh, for that. So I'm going to kind of... Let's call it quad-like. Quad okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, uh, I, I, was, I was in watching Frankie Boyle last night in town in the Olympia. You all laughed out, were you? Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, there's the, the certainly lines that he crossed. Um, he's turned into a grumpy old git as well. He's unbelievable. But anyhow, let's not go to... Couple of lads who were sitting beside us uh, in between the acts, uh, they were watching the Fulham and Liverpool game, and it was one nil to Fulham, and uh, and the confidence wasn't spewing out of them. When you look at Liverpool now, Neil, again, I said I'm going to flip the question. What do you think can stop Liverpool from winning a quarter, treble, the double, uh, even the league? What is it that? It, it it still needs to be sort of fixed. Um, oh Jesus, there's a question for you, right? So, my opinion, the reason why I threw it in there was right. Someone mentioned last night, and Liverpool are still fighting on all fronts because they have the Europa, they have the Carabao Cup, they have the FA Cup, which they knocked Arsenal out of, and then they're top of the Premier League. Now, not being very selfish whatsoever, it's very very different than the last time Liverpool were kind of chasing that quad. And they absolutely ran out of steam completely. They ran abrupt. They, the last kind of eight to ten games, they were on fumes, I would call it. And I know they got the Cups, but then they died a horrible death in the league and then they lost down in the Champions League. So in order to, to, to do something like City did last year when they won the treble, you need to have an unbelievable squad. You need to have two squads, one that can come off the bench, 
or at least cover eight odd players on the bench that can come over and cover your 11 positions on the field. Now, when you have Salah heading off, Endo heading off, uh, Robertson injured, Trent now with a knee injury, and Zabozlai with a knee injury, there's five first-team starters that are now out of your team for a number of weeks. Let's call it another three weeks. You look at the match last night where they played Fulham, and the only two recognisable players on the bench was Gakpo and Nunes. Now, they come off the bench, and I think they changed the game, which was great. But it's a marathon, not a sprint. You need it for the 38 games. And at the moment, you're at the halfway point. They're on top of the league. For me, wouldn't have bothered me, maybe not last night, but on a one-legged uh, game like Arsenal, get out of the FA Cup, wouldn't bother you. Get out of the Cup, wouldn't bother you. You'd want to be challenging in the Premier League. And, and in the position they're in, which I think is a little bit, I don't want to say false position, but I don't feel comfortable that we're going to see that through. So you're either going to put all your eggs in one basket and go in the Premier League, or I think what Klopp's doing is he's been clever and he's kind of playing all the lines on the hope that they do win something and let's see what happens. Can we get guys back? So the answer is the squad depth and the injuries are going to kill them. Within the next maybe three weeks, you could be in big, big trouble because you're missing too many big players and you just don't have that impact from the bench. He's been using the 60-minute subs brilliantly for the last four weeks and now you don't have these guys where you're playing twice a week you can bring them off the bench so fatigue mental fatigue too many games and not enough squad depth is eventually I think going to catch up with them Okay now it's probably not the worst time to have a, an injury crisis because it's it's there's a little break there's uh, cup games on as well so it would maybe if you think it's three four weeks that it would be only the cup games that might suffer and the league still might be uh, secured if you want to call it that yeah and that would be great like I mean I don't think there's any Liverpool supporter out there right that thing and that's what you're saying they're, they're wearing comfortable when you're going down Liverpool have gone a goal down I think 10 games this year but they've managed to kind of pull it around and then Klopp has been clever kind of reshuffling the pack, bringing on impact subs on 60 minutes. The likes of Elliot and Jod and a few of them coming off the bench, Gakpo, and they're able to change games and go up a gear and finish teams off or come from behind and nick a goal here or there. They did it against Fulham in the league. So that side of things is really good. It's positive and I don't think there's anyone that could argue if you were offered a position they're in now top of the league uh, after Christmas, you would snap the hand off everybody. Um, but it just feels a little bit I don't know, it, it feels like we're not on level ground. We're a little bit shaky here and you're maybe one or two more injuries. Like an injury to Van Dijk, um, an injury um, to one more of the forwards, you've already left Salah. You're, you really are in big, big trouble insofar as being able to put in 11 players capable of winning games together. So for me, it's just a bit of shaky ground. But I mean, I can't take a position they're in. But I just, you know, I can't wait for the next three weeks. You know, a bit of luck, Egypt bomb out of that. Um, bomb out of the African nations. And, uh, you know, you get Salah back in particular. And then after that, look, everything is up for grabs and you just go and you try to win anything that you can. Dave, does Klopp need to go and win another Premier League before he finishes up at Liverpool? Um, <clears throat> ideally, you would, just to kind of get rid of any doubters because there's no denying just what a juggernaut that City is and how tough it is to come up against them and all you have to do is look at the points tallies for winning the league over the last five or six years but to kind of just bookend if and when he does finish up to get the second one just to say it wasn't necessarily a fluke it was a good era it's because otherwise 
ironically, now I'll still love it and still think it's successful, but there will be a bit of a potential what if because of all the two runners up in the in the Champions League, or runners up in the Europa, runners up in another cup, two runners up with high points totals in the leagues, a very much potentially more wide wide been instead of what was. Um, but then you could look at it and go, in fairness, they did a good job considering who they were up against in terms of Man City, arguably the best team ever in the Premier League, and obviously Real Madrid and their pomp in, in Europe. So you could look at it one way, it's unlucky, but in another way, you know, the greatest second-place team of all time almost, you know. So it's a, it depends on what, what way somebody's mood is on a given day. But yeah, just to kind of maybe get rid of one or two doubters or just put a few things to bed, it would be nice to get a, to bookend uh, his time with a second title without a doubt but I think his ultimate because Neil talks predominantly about Liverpool I think the ultimate thing that might cause it this year is there's a certain partnership of two very ordinary players of De Bruyne and Haaland coming back which I very much worry about Haaland's goal ratio has been normal this year because I think he's been missing De Bruyne De Bruyne doubled his assist tally last year versus the previous season and I reckon that's because there was a certain Haaland but the fact that them two are coming fifth and they're only two points behind if they win their game in hand, I think that's what could be Liverpool's biggest problem regardless of what team they have. Absolutely. I think that shuts up a lot of people uh, by having that sort of magnifying glass over Haaland and De Bruyne and now and it yeah. shows De Bruyne for, for what he is and, and how important he is. Just to, yeah. listen, there's no doubt that Man City could go on and win a league without De Bruyne. But De Bruyne yeah. gives them that something extra special, and yeah. as you said, like if he comes back with as close as he can be, you know, everyone needs to be worried, and that's why you know to try and get every advantage you can now. But you know, uh, you could claim, you could maybe claim City have had that bad spell, and now you've got these players coming back. Rodri stops getting suspended or whatever, because obviously they lost the three games and he wasn't playing. You keep them three on the field, you know, I'd be worried regardless of what everyone else has in the locker. Yeah. Neil Jordan Henderson doesn't want to stick around. He can't stick the heat. He's getting out of the kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's all sorts of rumours of where he might end up. There's talk about Ajax wants him. There was a little rumour that Celtic wanted him, although I can't see him going for 700 grand down to about 30 grand to go to uh, Cole, Scotland. So that that doesn't seem to be right. But there seems to be a couple of clubs within Spain and England who are looking at them. Listen, Liverpool, I don't think you're going to take them up. Spurs are hinted at. Where do you think he could go and, and make a difference? Um, oh, I think he could make a difference in a number of teams. You see, look, he's one of these guys where, what is he, is he 33, maybe going on 34, give or take. So you would still get a year out of him. It depends on... It, this is obviously not a money-related thing because he went to Saudi Arabia for the money, right? So this is obviously him going, I want to be in the chance to get into England, as in the England setup again, to stay with the squad, to play at a higher level. He's obviously gone over there. There's rumours that he hasn't liked the facilities, seemed that the training facilities were so par, so they built him a new one. It's still not good enough. Um, he he can't handle the heat. He can't handle the crowd. So I'd say it's a load of little things that he's kind of going, he could have stayed in England or stayed somewhere played out his last year or two in front of, you know, packed houses and adoring fans. And it's kind of, you know, reminds me of the Beckham documentary when he switched to America and realised, holy God, what have I done? So that's what it reeks of. Um, where he's suited to any uh, mid-table team in England that are struggling, any team 
And I mean, you know, you could pick any of them there, maybe not the Fulham, the Palace, the Forest, the Brentford, you know, someone that needs a, a clever guy that can control a game, a guy that still has something to offer. That's the type of team he could be very valuable in. And I mean, it could be a six month with an option to, to something else after that. So provided it's not money motivated, I think that will bring in more people wanting him. And then you need the right manager that's going to get something out of him. Someone that thinks he can come in and do a job. Um, so if, if I could liken it to someone, Ross Barkley, when he went to it's Luton, Ross Barkley, isn't he? He's come in and he's kind of made this effect on him. He's put his kind of stamp on the team. And it's like he was at a higher level and now he's offering something else. Henderson could be that guy. And he could be that guy for a number of teams. If it's not in England, I don't know, with the Dutch league, be a viable one with the Turkish league be a viable one it depends how desperate he is to get out of where he is so it's a kind of you know you've made your bed I don't know are they letting allowing people out of Saudi Arabia at the moment is it a money thing where they want to be compensated because they were I'm sure he was handsomely compensated to go there um, but I still would say Henderson has at least six months to offer any team that's in need why the financial terms are right at the moment? Yeah, I think the family is a big reason why he may. I was going to say, want to come back. I'd say Mrs. Henderson is 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 very loud in his ear. Well, yeah, you think about it, Dave. When you're over there, mm. you're you're stuck in yeah. your own little cocoon, and um, it's not the culture is so different to to what we're used yeah. to. It, that there's not that freedom. Yes, they'll have that kind of protection. Yeah. They'll be in certain areas, and they'll but be able it's to private go. compounds in your. Yeah, private, in a very fancy prison almost. Private beach, and you're, but you're not interacting, mixing with people. That buzz isn't no, there. No, uh, no. It, it, and these schools, you, you'll have these international schools that the kids will go to, but there'll be different kids there. There'll be, there'll be Italian kids, French kids, all these type of kids be going to these schools, all trying to probably learn English mm. and stuff and, and communicate, but it won't be the same. I shall say, right, you know what it is with Henderson as well? He moved over there as the captain of the club and the whole thing around the England setup. would you be able to hold your place? And then, you know, they're a repressed country. It was the whole, you know, rainbow armbands at the World Cup and all that type of stuff. You know, there was a little bit of a stench that he kind of went, well, look, I'm moving and that's it. Now, the fact that he's sailing out less than six months later, it must be bad. Like, it must be really, really bad to turn kind of with your tail between your legs and be like, oh, he's been offered to clubs. Now, if he moves to an Ajax to get himself out of there, not that Ajax is a bad club or anything like that, but, if, you know, you would imagine he would rather move back to England. But if he ends up moving abroad again, as in Ajax or one of them, it will just show really the scale of how bad it was for him to want to leave at all costs. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, again, maybe that's a lesson for the guys that all were queuing up to get out the door um, last July when the opportunity arose OK Dave uh, we're going to finish up fairly quickly um, but I want you to look at the rest of this 23-24 season so till May the end of June little predictions is there anything that you feel that may may not happen managers that may go people who may get re- or teams that may get relegated teams that may make that top four etc um, any surprises do you think yeah, bottom three, let's do this quickly. I think Burnley and Sheffield United are very much set in stone. There'll be some miracles there. Um, Everton, a couple of weeks ago, you would have said, are kind of slowly getting away from that 10-point thing, but losing their last three, they're a point, a point ahead of Luton. You never know. Brentford and Forest, 
may or may not join that race. So yeah, I think will Luton blow uh, run out of steam potentially. So maybe that bottom three to me, I'd stick my neck out and keep it at that. I think Liverpool and City are set in stone. I think Arsenal will get going. Um, it, I just think the fourth place could be a cracking run because you've got Villa who are doing a phenomenal job. I think Spurs may stick around with one or two of the acquisitions that they're doing. And then it'll be interesting to see, can anyone else join the race? Because obviously Newcastle United were in there last year and would desperately want to get into it. But it, it could be a nice little run between Spurs and Villa maybe. And obviously West Ham and Brighton are in the other European spots. So there's going to be a nice little battle. But I think it's just for one spot. I think it's fairly safe to say those three. And it's just to see who can... Who can who can kind of keep their cool and and get the job done in the last few get a few weeks because that's what tends to happen, and it even nearly happened last year with, with Newcastle and United. They they kind of almost let Liverpool into it when they didn't deserve it. So it'd be interesting to see can Spurs and and Villa hold their cool and 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 hold the race. So I, I'm confident with three, but if I had to pick four at the moment, who knows? Maybe just because I like Ange, I'd love to see him sneak in and 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 finish the season off because he's been a breath of fresh air. He's been a the joy to listen to in many different aspects of the game. And so, yeah, maybe uh, maybe just stick my neck out and go with him. Yeah, uh, Neil, apart from Liverpool winning every trophy that's available, uh, <laughs> what, else, what else can quad. you see happening now by the end of the season? Quad is on, Roy. The quad is on. The quad will not be on in another month, I would think. Look, <laughs> it, it, the meat and bones are coming out of it. Um, I think Liverpool are going to be closer to City than anyone else. The biggest question is just, can City do what we all expect them to do because they've done it the last five or six seasons and just blow everybody out of the water? And if they do, they win the league comfortably. But wouldn't it be great if, you know, there was, say, a three-way race, Liverpool, City and Arsenal, right the way down to the last week? It would be great, but maybe we're just all romantic here and, you know, we're just sick of seeing City win and everything. We want something that we can't have. Um, so that would keep me happy if it was there to the end. Um, I'll go with Dave on the top four prediction. I think if Villa got that top four spot, I think they'd settle for it right now. I know they're a little bit, you know, they feel they're probably kind of cuckoo land and they can go further. But if Villa cemented that spot, I think it'd be a bigger achievement than Newcastle doing it last year, just by the amount of powerhouses that are around them, the people that are chasing them down. I mean, Chelsea, Man United are in, what are they, 10th and 8th at the moment, and they're nowhere near any of these clubs. So, that will help them. You know, you've got Arsenal, you've got Tottenham. I think they have a great chance of doing it. And uh, yeah, that will keep me happy as in the top four race again, brought a new team into Europe next year as in the Champions League. So I, I, I'll back Villa to do it. They just look really, really solid this year. So I'm hoping that they do it. And re- relegation, I agree with Dave. I just can't see it really changing with the bottom three. Maybe a Brentford or an Everton getting pulled in there. Okay, I'm going to predict Celtic to win the Scottish Premiership so we'll see who gets their predictions right Um, Listen, thanks very much Neil thanks very much Dave and thanks very much everyone out there for listening A new year of football second half of the season and it's the best bit Talk to you next week